Welcome to the Fuji Love Podcast, episode two of 2019. Our guest today is an expert, an insider, and an all-around Fuji guy. You might know him from any Fuji news on social media channels, but particularly from the Fuji Guys, a highly popular Fujifilm channel with views in the hundred thousands per video. Billy, welcome to the Fuji Love Podcast. Uh, thank you very much. I'm uh, pretty happy to be uh, on this Fuji podcast for the very first time. I'm uh, somewhat excited. And we're super happy to have you. Now, if somebody has really missed you the last years, um, let me ask you the same question I ask everybody in the beginning of a podcast. Who is Billy Luong? Well, I joined Fujifilm maybe about 17-ish years ago, uh, 2002. I started as a technical support uh, specialist uh, at Fuji um, and kind of dealt right off the bat with digital cameras. Uh, back in the days, uh, we were dealing with uh, cameras that had serial connections, unlike USB connections. So uh, there was a little bit more troubleshooting with uh, COM ports. Uh, and, you know, I guess um, back in the days, it's a lot more dif difficult than, say, USB was. And uh, that's kind of where I started. Uh, before I joined Fuji, though, I, I my first digital camera actually was a Fujifilm camera. It was an A201, which, which was a fixed lens, you know, two megapixel camera in the day. And it was using uh, smart media cards uh, at the time, which was the very thin low disk. And during that time, I guess, uh, since the 17 years, I've, I've done different positions, but really, you know, always in a sort of technical uh, support uh, way uh, up until now, which I am currently the senior technical brand manager at Fujifilm. Uh, I work to help market the Fujifilm products, uh, both uh, digital camera side of the business, so that's our X series uh, GFX, but also you know our instant film side, which is the Instax cameras, which of course is very pop, um, you know popular. Uh, with Fujifilm right now. And uh, I also do a little bit of support for the photo finishing side of the business. So, uh, you know, basically full in input and output of uh, images. And that's kind of uh, where I stand right now. So I've been with Fuji for quite a long time. And, uh, you know, I have uh, great relationships uh, uh, both with the other Fujifilm subsidiaries around the world, including of course, uh, Japan and a lot of the product development team. I'm very uh, close with them and work with them, uh, of course, to um, you know improve our products. And you know, back in the days when we launched, I guess the original X100 series of cameras, you know, it was that time that you know we started to do firmware updates. And you know, I played a a role in you know sending that message from consumers uh, to the product development team and to understand, you know what people really wanted and what, how they could improve uh, the camera. So that's a little quick overview of who Billy is at Fujifilm. I am working for Fujifilm Canada. And I've always uh, been doing that. But of course, uh, you know, we're also very close to um, Fujifilm USA, which is, you know, under the same umbrella of Fujifilm North America. Wow. So 17 years at Fujifilm, that's that's quite a while. Now, you mentioned it quickly before, that's coming from a totally different age of technology. Looking back 17 years, what were the, the high and, and, and the low points in, in regards to, you know, how Fuji has developed over those two decades? 
Yeah, it's it's funny. In 2002, uh, I joined Fujifilm, and uh, at that time, digital cameras were were kind of growing quite a lot. Um, we had a very popular model at the time that was kind of on the tops of the charts uh, for digital cameras. Uh, one of the five biggest reasons why it was the best-selling camera at the time potentially was that it included rechargeable batteries. And, you know, cameras back in, in the days were just using double A's and there wasn't sort of a uh, – rechargeable batteries were not included. And then after that year, I think uh, things started to plummet a little bit uh, in terms of point-and-shoots in the sense that um, – you know, film was still a big part of uh, Fujifilm, um, from 35 millimeters to professional uh, film, and uh, you know we saw sort of the decline uh, at that time. It just kept gradually going lower and lower and lower, and that was sort of a big market for us. But luckily, you know, we've always sort of transitioned and planned properly. And, and so, you know, Fujifilm has always kind of, you know, worked out of, uh, you know, when one prop, one product is not very popular, we sort of have a backup plan uh, um, in mind. So it, in terms of the highs and lows, I guess, you know, film was kind of a low back in the days. Digital cameras was kind of, you know, very high. Uh, but then we also saw, you know, that, slowly declined, you know, every single year as well as I believe the iPhone was launched uh, in similar fashion at that time, which, you know, we can obviously see the trend of uh, what it is now, which pretty much your smartphone tablets and and phones being sort of your main, you know, uh, picture capturing device. What I know, for example, from my from my Switzerland Fujifilm rep is that this is probably one of the best times to actually be with Fuji looking back. I mean, Fuji has not been always been so on top of the game as they are uh, right now, right? Yes, I think, uh, you know, Fujifilm has always been a leader in, in technology, uh, in development, in research, in development. Uh, you know, we, we hold a lot of patents and we're usually, you know, the top 50 countries, uh, companies, uh, in the world that has, you know, new innovations uh, that we launch. Um, you know, I think uh, we had some incredible technologies like Super CCD back in the days. Uh, it had its, you know, variations as well. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, I think the game changer was when we launched uh, the Fujifilm X100. You know, that was our first sort of fixed camera APS-C, and, and it, I think it was a, a definite game changer uh, for the company in terms of the digital camera side of the business and really, you know, provided a much better and accurate direction for uh, Fujifilm. And, and, of course, this is where we are today thanks to that uh, camera. I think the X100 is actually the camera that launched the current uh, success of Fujifilm. For me, it was the 100S. But I know plenty of people who started with uh, with the original 100, actually. Yeah, you know, it's uh, quite an interesting story because, you know, at that time, you know, we think about an APS-C fixed lens camera. And I can tell you pretty much, you know, every single subsidiary around the world was kind of, you know, saying to ourselves, how are we going to sell this camera? Who's going to buy this camera at this price point being a fixed camera? And, you know, to our surprise, I guess, you know, uh, the demand was so uh, overwhelming. And, and I think definitely, you know, I think we, we hit a right spot 
um, you know, and that's kind of where X series uh, really started, right? Fully agree. I mean, that was that was the start of a of a new uh, kind of an era for for Fuji film. Um, let me ask you, what is your favorite camera, and what do you photograph when you are not working for Fuji? Currently, right now, uh, my go-to camera. Uh, it's hard to say what my favorite camera is because uh, I do work at Fujifilm. I have access to you know all the latest cameras, uh, including, of course, our you know award-winning. Uh, Fujifilm X-T3 camera, but uh, the camera I like to go to and the, and the camera that, you know, I think really envisions mirrorless is, you know, something that's very small and compact and, you know, it may be different for others, but because I, you know, have a family with, uh, of course, two kids, two younger children, I want things to be lightweight. And so my go-to camera really is the X-E3. Hmm. Surprisingly. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I pair the XE3 camera with uh, the F2 prime lenses, like the 35 F2. That's almost like 70, 80% of the time it's stuck to the camera. I also use the 23 F2 uh, a lot as well. And in, in occasions, I, I use the 50 F2. And those three lenses really always fit in my little uh, uh, camera bag and, and kind of go goes with me everywhere I go. Um before the X-E3, of course, I, I did favor the X-T20. They're basically the same cameras, but in a more slightly different design. But, um, you know, one of the features uh, that I just, you know, can't live without now in a camera is the autofocus lever, the, the joystick, which, you know, allows you to quickly move the focus point. And, I mean, to me, that's the difference between an X-E3 and the X-T20 for me. I love the joystick on my X-T3, which is uh, my favorite camera of, of all times that Fuji ever brought out. I'm so happy with this one. The X-T3 is, is absolutely an amazing camera. I think it is the balance of size, weight, quality, you know, in a, in a good price point as well. And I think a lot of people were shocked when we launched the camera, you know, at a relatively good price that was so featured pack. Uh, but for me, of course, like I said, again, even the X-T3, it's big, right? And, and I, I know may, maybe most of your viewers may disagree, uh, but for me, and my hands are very small, um, you know, I don't mind, you know, dropping down to the X-E3 level. I think, uh, you know, in terms of image quality, they're relatively the same. In terms of autofocus, I think uh, even with my kids running around, I never had any difficulties capturing them. I know focusing could be better on, you know, over the X-E3 with the, with, uh, the X-T3. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I work with cameras and I kind of understand my subject and I, I know how to work around its limitations. So I prefer the small size, the small weight, uh, the lightweightness, I guess, of it over that of the uh, X-T3. I fully, fully agree with you. For me, the X-T3 is rather small because I have very large hands, <laughs> but I just don't put anything on it except one lens and a thumb grip. So it, it kind of gives for me the, the same effect. Um, right. What I, what I wanted to ask is, what's your opinion on, on, on the, the 1.435 and kind of the more open aperture lenses versus the 2.0 lenses today? Because a lot of people say that those older lenses have an, an, a massive uh, optical quality that we're kind of waiting for for Fuji to bring back. What's your, what's your point on that? 
You may ask me before the type of pictures I, I take. I generally spend most of my time documenting my kids, you know, taking photos of birthday parties and just going out skating on the canal or, you know, doing whatever. I kind of take that camera with me and I just kind of capture the moment with them. And, uh, you know, to me, F2 is good enough. But saying that, you know, you take you take those existing lenses like the 35 1.4, you take that 60 mil F2.4 lens and, you know, you put it on an X-T3. And I can tell you, like, it's, it is night and day when, it, when, you know, compared to, say, the original X-Pro1, you know, when we launched that as the, our first interchangeable mirrorless, you know, those lenses sort of have a new life in terms of autofocus. Yes, they may be a little bit noisier, uh, but, you know, the, the speed of focusing is actually quite fast. And, you know, the legendary 3514 is, is, is still, you know, a, a very, very sharp lens. I think people like the lens because maybe not because it's, it's about the sharpness. But I think it's it was designed not perfectly, actually, in that the um, in that you know one of the benefits of not it not being designed optically perfect is the look of the image, and I think people kind of see that that there's this softness to it, but in the right spots, and then sharpness in the right spots that people feel that it's sort of this magic lens, right? It is. I mean, it is, it is so beautiful. I still use it uh, regularly and I own the 35 uh, 2.0 as well. And uh, I've never been aware that this is actually an imperfection. I thought this lens was just beautifully designed the way the pictures came out. So I, was, I wasn't aware that it was rather a small flaw that turned into an advantage. Yeah. And I mean, I don't say, you know, it was, you know, a flaw in a sense that, you know, it was sort of the characteristics of that lens design, right? And I guess due to that characteristic of that design, there was this look, you know, it's like, you know, taking these, you know, Russian lenses, film days and, and kind of putting it in and filming, you have that, that nice look to it, right? That can't be replicated. And sometimes having the most perfect lens design, you know, maybe the image doesn't look so authentic and I, and maybe the 35 1.4 you know has that look and that's that's probably why people kind of like it uh it is quite sharp uh but you know one of the things people don't look at too is the is the XF 60 mil i mean honestly if you can get that used somewhere online it is an absolutely stunning lens it's super sharp and paired with, you know, the X-T3 with the latest firmware, focusing is quite fast. And, you you know, I think it's our sharpest XF lens in the lineup. And, and it's that good. Uh, it has that kind of look to it. And, uh, you know, maybe people should kind of relook at that lens again. It's actually a coincidence, but everything we just talked about is the Fuji gear I still own. I don't own a lot. But I have the 35 1.4, I have the, the 62.4, which is an amazing lens. The only reason I don't use it anymore on the streets is because the focus barrel comes out on the front and it kind of gives <laughs> my, my point away. But, uh, I think you're a, a vital part of the Fuji guys. Give us just quickly an, an insight how the Fuji guys were created and how it got to the point where you got like hundreds of thousands of views on, on your videos. How, how did that happen? As a company, you know, we started, you know, with our YouTube channel, you know, quite earlier in the days. And and uh, I don't think any other camera companies were, you know, doing videos uh, on YouTube at the time. 
Um, I mentioned that I started my role as a technical su support specialist and, um, you know, we had a lot of, of the same questions all the time about cameras when, when people called in. And we, we thought that, you know, instead of just repeating ourselves every time, why not create a video and walk through the cameras and uh, hopefully, you know, we could send people off to, to that video and let them watch it. And hopefully that would answer a lot of the questions. It would help to relieve, you know, some of the calls that we were getting in on our techn technical support line and, and maybe made our jobs a little bit easier. And that's kind of where the Fuji Guys channel started. Um, you know, as we started to do more videos, you know, we started to have the opportunity to, uh, you know, talk about new cameras that, that no one got their hands on yet. Because, of course, working at Fujifilm, we would, you know, be getting pre-production samples, um, you know, prior to it, you know, reaching the stores. And so that we would have firsthand, you know, um, you know, accounts of the camera itself. And then we started to grow that because we started to notice, I guess, maybe as the Internet as people switch from the buying styles from, you know, going to a, a brick and mortar store to, you know, watching reviews and unboxings on the internet, because maybe the, maybe physically the stores didn't carry the product or uh, there isn't a store near them. And so, um, you know, these videos started to grow in popularity because, you know, they were using it as if it was the maybe first account of, you know, touching that product uh, or virtually touching that product, uh, you know, instead of being in the stores. And I guess that's kind of where Fuji started. You know, we also thought about doing it sort of like an owner's manual where, you know, hey, if you want to learn more about the products, you know, learn about the features and how to use it properly, you know, visit this Fuji Guys channel and uh, it would teach you everything. And again, you know, doing that sort of, again, helped us to, uh, you know, reduce the amount of technical support calls that, uh, you know, we got back in the days. Makes a lot of sense. And in the meantime, I think you also have uh, Fuji guys in, in many other countries, right? Yeah, we, you know, we started to expand it a little bit. Uh, obviously, we started the channel in Canada. And uh, I guess like a lot of YouTube uh, channels, there seems to be quite a lot in Canada. I'm quite shocked about that. But uh, I don't know something about Canadians. Um but saying that, yes, we started to open it up to some of the other subs. So we, we we contacted, you know, the UK and Australia and then, of course, the US as well. And, uh, you know, basically any English-speaking country. And, and we welcomed them to join, you know, um, the channel by, by having content uh, that's related. And, of course, you know... I think Greg and I were the original Fuji guys uh, that, that started it all, and it now expanded to uh, some of my team members. You got Gord Webster, uh, you got Jerry Julian, you got Francis Belfay, you got, uh, of course, Mike, Michael Bobanko, and uh, some others around the world. Great. And uh, we are super happy to have you on the Fuji Love podcast. And uh, let's break the news. This will probably not be the only time you join us on the Fuji Love podcast. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, myself and Tomas are very proud to have you as a regular contributor. So in the future, Billy will join us regularly to discuss updates and latest news around the Fuji film world, starting with this month. So we want to give you the occasion to regularly dig into uh, Billy's brain and to trigger discussions that Billy and myself can have here on the podcast. 
So please check the show notes to find out how to submit questions. We are looking forward to fill all the categories that we are about to introduce with your content, your questions and your points of interest. And we will look into all your questions and select a few for future episodes. So Billy, do you want to take it away and maybe start with the first uh, category that we're going to do regularly in the future? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one one of the uh, things that maybe Fuji Love um, viewers want to hear, of course, is, you know, get some of the questions answered. So uh, as you mentioned, um, we will definitely take some questions um, and then uh, I'll try to answer, answer them as best I can. Of course, unfortunately, I, I can't talk about, you know, future and upcoming products, uh, um, it being obviously uh, confidential, but, uh, you know, anything that, you know, we want to talk about existing products or software or compatibility or accessories, you name it, I'm more than open to, uh, to try to answer you. Speaking of this, I mean, there's always a roadmap, so we can give you an outlook what's going to happen over the next 12 months. Uh, maybe, Billy, you can give us a quick oversight of what we can expect from Fujifilm in terms of releases in, in the next year. This year, we're looking at uh, the XF 16mm f2.8, and that sort of falls in line with the, the compact prime f2 lenses that we, we currently have. Uh, that would be a great addition uh, this year. Uh, in addition to that as well, and something maybe I'm really looking forward to because I do a lot of videos, uh, and it's not really a video-specific camera a lens, but, you know, it's the uh, XF 16 to 80 mil F4 lens. That lens is going to be, you know, size in between, you know, the 18 to 55 and the uh, XF 16 to 55 2.8. Somewhere between that, you'll get this lens. And uh, it's going to have, you know, a very quiet uh, autofocus motor, which means it's going to be great for doing videos. It's optically image stabilized. It's also weather resistant. So it might be stuck onto my X-T3 for a lot of, you know, filming of videos uh, for our YouTube channel. Uh, we also, of course, um, uh, did announce, you know, sort of the special, you know, ultra fast prime lens, the XF33. Millimeter F1 lens. Uh, I know it's, uh, you know, a very difficult lens to develop because the uh, lens elements are um, quite heavy, you know, so the lens needs to be a little bit bigger. It is, you know, really the only autofocus, you know, F1 lens out there. And uh, that would be sometime in, of course, 2020. And then you know, with GF lenses, we also sent a little roadmap out on that, just, you know, with the launch of our GFX50 uh, R camera. Um, we had the uh, GF100-200, which I'll talk about uh, later in sort of our lens segment. But also, um, we're launching the GF50 millimeter, which is sort of a 40 millimeter equivalency, and that's going to be perfectly paired you know, with the 50R, if you if you want to take that camera as your walk around, uh, you know, camera that you can document, uh, you know, life with. And then uh, later in 2020, to, to kind of complete sort of the, you know, zoom category of lenses, you know, we'll launch this uh, 45 to 100 millimeter F4. Of course, you can see all these roadmaps, uh, you know, at the Fujifilm website, if you want to check that out, or just, you know, obviously Google the GF or X-Series uh, lens roadmap, and, and it will come up really quickly, and you can kind of see 
what's up and coming. Well, I mean, the 33 1.0, I never wanted anything so bad since I had my first Fuji camera. I can't wait <laughs> to have that lens. I hope this works out on a technical level and we can soon hold it. I'm, I'm seriously dreaming of this lens. Um, point two <laughs> in terms of categories uh, would be the camera corner. Yes. Uh, so, you know, each segment we're going to talk about, you know, a specific camera, uh, just, you know, giving you my thoughts about the camera itself or maybe something that's new and interesting. Uh, for this segment, uh, of course, we're talking about uh, the X-H1. I know we just, you know, launched the X-T3 not too long ago, but I think we can't forget how uh, significant the X-H1 is, especially now that uh, uh, it has sort of a new worldwide price. Um, it, it's very tempting. You know, the latest firmware that was launched, uh, version 2.0, adds improvements to uh, things like image stabilization. So um, that could be very vital if you're doing video now. There's a little bit better stability on, on when you're filming video and you're shifting left and right. So it's, it's utilizing both the in-body image stabilization that's on that camera as well as the lens stabilization. So effectively, it's really taking full advantage uh, and stabilizing it, you know, every lens, you know, almost up to five and a half stops on, on certain lenses as well. And that, that firmware does bring up a, a big difference. Uh, of course, um, you know, there's other things to that firmware as well that it adds, um, you know, when it comes to video recording, you don't have sort of the broken file size uh, when it hits sort of that four gigabyte limit. Some of you may have found that uh, annoying when doing videos. Um, you know, having multiple files uh, could be difficult when, when editing, but uh, that sort of uh, was added. But, you know, aside from video, you know, this, this camera maybe have been misunderstood from the market from the very first time we launched it. Um, you know, I think it did have a lot of new video features that were added, things like 120 frames per second, full HD, eternal film simulation, you know, on top of IBIS. You know, some people may have felt like this was a video camera, um, you know, that Fuji was, was launching. And, and really the truth of the X-H1's launch was that, you know, there was a lot of customers wanting to have a better, more robust camera, a camera that was built better, uh, that could, you know, be taken, you know, day in, day out uh, from, you know, your, your, your camera bag and, and not have it uh, stop working, um, you know, be rugged enough uh, and, you know, be big enough to handle some of the bigger, you know, zoom lens. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a shooting professional, uh, and in using the camera, sometimes weight is not the problem here. It's more about, you know, the durability. And, and that's why we launched the X-H1 to sort of please, you know, some of our, you know, current X-Series customers, but also, you know, appeal to some, you know, DSLR customers that were on the, I guess, the bench of, you know, making the switch to a mirrorless, you know, camera system. And, uh, you know, that's where the X-H1 is. And if you look at IBIS and we talk about video, actually IBIS is quite nice for the photo side of things, especially with, you know, all the prime lenses, like the 56.1.2. It just makes it 
that much better, especially when you're shooting in low light um, to get, you know, outstanding photographs uh, from the camera. Now, let me throw the question in there, IBIS. Is, is IBIS going to be something that we will find in the majority of all Fujifilm cameras in the future? Well, I think when we launched the X-H1, it was our first attempt at developing, you know, an IBIS uh, system. And uh, our R&D team, you know, was kind of uh, tasked with kind of making, you know, an excellent IBIS system. And I think it's one of the best out in the marketplace for stabilization. Um, it works very, very well. Uh, unfortunately, when that was developed, um, you know, the size of that system was still kind of too big to fit into other X-series cameras. So, you know, I believe, you know, Japan sort of has um, tasked and maybe um, tasked, you know, the, the R&D team to see if, you know, it is possible to build, you know, a smaller IBIS system. So at this moment, you know, there isn't, something that that probably could fit uh you know in any existing cameras but you know it's it's obviously something that we're we're trying to investigate and hopefully one day you know uh, that technology could be um um designed smaller so that it could fit in in other x series uh cameras I think it's a great uh, philosophy choice on the side of, uh, of Fujifilm rather than making cameras bigger, develop the system until it fits into the, the current uh, form factor. Speaking of the X-H1, uh, let me add the question, what about the shutter? I heard a story, I mean, people either like it or they don't because it's very kind of uh, sensitive. It goes off easily. And I heard the story that there was a, a plan that you could actually uh, choose the the resistance of the shutter at some point is is that true or did that disappear or just never happened the xh1 um you know has a spring shutter system right it's it's quite light uh, it's quite soft uh it's really great for shooting sports because you know if you have a trigger happy finger it makes it so much easier to do a burst you know, a bunch of burst shots and and out the door, you're, you're ready. But, you know, if you're traditionally looking at our current shutter system, yes, there's a big difference in terms of its sensitivity. Uh, if we take a look at the shutter button on the X-H1, there's actually what we call an S1 position and an S2 position. And the S1 position basically is, is a half press position that locks, you know, the autofocus and the exposure. Uh, and then the S2 position basically is, you know, where it makes full contact and the shutter is released. Now, initially, we had a balance between, you know, the positioning of S1 and the positioning of S2. Um, when we started to launch the product, there was some discussion points on, you know, it being configurable or not. Um for customers, of course, uh, you couldn't do this, um, but if you, you know, like how the button feels, then obviously you're, you're going to be happy with it. But if you feel like you need to make some changes, I think uh, what you can do is, is potentially contact your Fujifilm service uh, department in your area. Uh, and see if they have an option to make the adjustment because there is actually um, potentially three levels of adjustments. Uh, basically, it's a low, medium, and high, and that it basically adjusts the S1 and S2 position, you know, depending on you know the low, the medium, or the high settings. 
Uh, of course, this can only be done at the service center, and um, there, there probably it might be a charge for that service. Um, so it's really up to the different various Fujifilm subsidiaries around the world to offer that. Um, I can probably say for Canada uh, and for Canadians, if they wanted to do that, of course, they can contact our service um, department, uh, make an appointment or and uh, potentially have that S1, S2 position adjusted for them. All right, let's move on. Category number three, the lens corner. Yeah, so uh, each each time we talk, we're going to maybe pick a lens to talk about. Uh, and in this edition, uh, I, I do want to talk about the GF100-200. It, it is our latest uh, lens for the GFX system, and uh, it really sort of fits in the sense that, you know, if you're looking to move into medium format, you don't have a whole lot of, you know, uh, lenses, of course, initially. And so we found that zoom lenses uh, were somewhat popular with the GFX system because it could cover, you know, various focal length. So this is one of the lens uh, selections that we launched. It's equivalent to um, about 79 millimeters to about 158 millimeters. Uh, it is compatible with the uh, uh, the 1.4 times teleconverter, so uh, again, it's sort of dual usage that you can extend the uh, the zoom range on it, and it goes uh, to basically 111 millimeters to 221 with the uh, the 1.4 times adapter, and of course, we're talking in 35 millimeter um, focal length. Um, this lens is kind of interesting. It is a little bit heavier. Uh, I wouldn't say that heavy, but it's about a, it's about one kilogram, so there is some you know weight to it. Um, but it's a very very sharp lens, and you know this being so new, it's it's uh, you know we we announced it just uh, not too long ago, and uh, it's still not in stores yet. But uh, uh, we're gonna see that um, in a few weeks. Hopefully that uh, it will be available for purchase. You have actually, I assume, tested it. I played with the lens, uh, you know, very shortly. Um, we had a special project uh, with the lens with one of our ex-photographers in Canada who did a, a shoot with it. Uh, it was an environmental portrait shot. Uh, and he used basically that lens uh, for the whole shoot, uh, just to test it out. And I know if, if you're looking at this lens and you're thinking, well, you know, F5.6, you know, you're not going to get much depth of, uh, you can get, you know, a lot of depth of field. I think with that focal length, um, you know, you might be surprised, you know, how good you can isolate, you know, the subject from the background. And I think, you know, being a, a you know, a G format sensor, a medium format sensor, uh, you know, it does have, you know, quite a lot of, uh, or you can you can create a lot of shallow depth of field with that particular lens. It is stabilized, which makes it very useful for uh, just using it by hands. If you want more information on that lens, I think uh, you can go to, um, you know, the Fujifilm-X.com website. There's a couple of uh, photographers uh, that, um, you know, have used that lens, and you can kind of check out uh um, check out that lens uh, maybe in, in 
in a week or two once we launch uh, some of the new content that we have out for it. This will include the the pictures you just talked about, right? Yes, of course. Uh, you know, you you'll see you'll see some sample images already. Uh, if you go to the actual product page for that lens, you can download it. These, of course, are out of camera JPEGs, uh, which means they're unedited. So, you know, they're not a perfect representation of what the photographers are, were trying to achieve, um, you know, but at least you have a good starting point that you can kind of make some, you know, your, some judgments to. Uh, and generally, Fuji, you know, when they upload these sample images, they are generally unedited, you know, straight out of camera to sort of give you an idea of of its performance, uh, you know, straight out of camera. And um, um that is already there, but we'll also have some more samples uh, coming soon. Now, our next category, category number four, is everything that revolves around accessories and software for Fujifilm products. Now, Billy, to start this off, you brought us a first topic to talk about. Yes, I did. Um, you know, I, I think um, maybe some people know this and some people don't. Um, but, you know, I want to talk sort of about, you know, battery packs especially about, uh, you know, power delivery battery packs. And there might be some confusions around, you know, which cameras support that. And when I talk about, you know, uh, you know, PD battery packs or power delivery battery packs, I mean battery packs that, that can actually power the camera while it's on. Um, and, you know, a lot of our Fuji cameras actually offer that functionality, Um Traditionally, you have these battery packs that are just generic five volt uh, battery packs that output, you know, uh, the, the voltage is not high enough to actually power the camera. When the camera is powered off, it will charge the batteries, but when the cameras are powered on, um, those packs won't charge. And then we have these, you know, PD uh, power delivery uh, battery packs, like the Anchor, um, you know, the, the Anchor PowerCore and the PowerCore Plus batteries. Um, there's obviously other PD batteries as well. One way to recognize uh, these type of batteries uh, is that it has a USB-C connection uh, on them, and you need to use that connection uh, and then connect it to uh, any of our cameras to actually power the camera. So just to give you a quick list of cameras that could be powered using a PD uh, battery pack, you got the X-T3. You also got the X-T2, X-H1, X-E3, X-T20, the X-100F, as well as the X-100T. So those cameras can actually be powered while, while on using a PD uh, a battery pack. Now, for cameras like you know, the X-T2 or H1 or A3s that don't have a USB-C connection, then you need to have a cable that is USB-C coming from the PD battery pack to a USB-3 coming into, uh, you know, a camera like the X-T2 or, or H1. Um, and sort of by doing that, you can power the cameras. And, you know, one of the usefulness for this battery pack is, you know, if you're doing a lot of videos, these packs will allow you to film basically all day long and uh, not worry about, you know, uh, flipping out the batteries. But if you're a landscape photographer and you're out, you know, out somewhere where you don't have, you know, battery and or you're doing things like time lapse photography, then, you know, buying sort of a PD 
battery pack is going to uh, allow you to save on the batteries on the cameras and allow you to shoot, have the camera shoot all night long to capture that time lapse that maybe you're looking for. What's the what's the weight and size on those? Because we don't sell the battery packs, you know, you may want to check out uh, the various uh, um, battery packs that are available uh, from third-party uh, companies. Um, again, you know, we Fuji recommended and have tested the Anchor brand, and uh, the two battery packs that we recommend are the PowerCore, um, basically twenty thousand PD, and the PowerCore Plus, which is the twenty-six thousand eight hundred PD. I personally have the 26,800, and I can tell you uh, with the X-T3, I had it connected. I had the X-T3 powered on for five hours, and you know, in terms of the battery pack itself, only one light dropped from it, and I think it had like 10 lights to it. Uh, so based on that, you know, I can pretty much film for 24 hours and actually not even you know, uh, deplete the batteries in the X-T3. Interesting. I mean, I'm I'm thinking immediately of situations where I don't have access to power, where I can back myself up. Do you know how many how many uh, charging cycle it, it it you get out of one of those for for a Fujifilm battery? If we look at you know more specific information, um, I would say with that um, twenty six thousand eight hundred version of that adapter, you're probably looking around. Uh, seven times a charge. Um, I feel like it's actually even longer than that, to be honest with you. Um, but um, it's about twenty six thousand eight hundred milliamps. And if you compare, you know, all batteries being um, that, and you make the and you divide the numbers, you're you're looking at almost I don't know, fifteen to twenty batteries, extra batteries that you didn't have to carry with you and. Um, one of the newest updates for the XH1 firmware is that uh, when you plug in the PD battery pack, you'll see an icon that appears that shows that it's being powered by that battery pack. And that's another way that you can tell. So the H1 has that information. The X-T3 will also have that, that icon appear as well. Some of the other models are like the X-T20 and X-T3, they're not going to have the icon appear. Um, but as long as you're connecting it to a PD battery pack via USB-C uh, and then onto the camera, then you should be good to go. Great. I'll definitely look into that personally because I'm always in use of power. I never manage to use more than four or five batteries a day. But uh, besides shooting video, from my point of view, this makes me literally independent from power for at least four or five days if I shoot reasonably. Yes, absolutely. Great. Last but not least, category number five, tips and tricks. Yes. Uh, you know, there's always some neat, cool tips uh, that you may or may not be aware of. Um, you know, I use my Fujifilm X-T3 a lot. And what you've noticed uh, is that there's an, there's an AF joystick, but there isn't a D-pad. And a lot of people are missing the D-pad because it, they might feel like it's easier to navigate the menu. So one of my tips today uh, is that, you know, a better way of navigating the menus is to use the front and, and rear command dials. So on the back of the, uh, the camera, the rear command dial allows you to jump item by item. And if you rotate the dial on the front, it jumps from page to page. So you can really quickly go and, and spin through the various pages. 
uh, and that's going to make it a lot easier to make uh, adjustments and, and changes in the camera's menu. If you uh, didn't want to use the joystick and didn't want to go left, down, right, kind of move to different sections, you can jump using just the front command dial, uh, which is kind of section by section, page by page, and then the rear command dial, which is line by line items. And this is what Tips and Tricks is all about, small tips to make your life as a Fujifilm photographer way more easier. That sums up our first episode with Billy. As we mentioned before, this will be a regular monthly occasion. And uh, Billy, do you have any last words for the Fuji Love community? Yeah, I'm excited to be uh, on Fuji Love, and uh, you know, I like to have some interaction with everybody. So, uh, if you have any questions or comments, or you want to hear more about a certain topic, feel free to uh, to post that information, and definitely we'll look at that and uh, include that in future talks uh, with Fuji Love. Perfect. So we talk to you next month, Billy. Thanks so much for being here and have a great day. Jens, thanks for having me.